0: The Senior Golfer Advisor, dedicated to helping you, the senior golfer, drive it longer, play better, get healthier, and enjoy the game. I'm your host, Dean Davison. Let's get started. Welcome, senior golfers. This is episode four, featuring Grant Rogers, the director of golf instruction at the world famous Bandon Dunes Golf Resort. Band and Dunes truly represents a world-class Lynx-style golf experience for golfers of all abilities and age groups. So when I started off this quest, I wanted to do primarily a travel show on Bandon Dunes, but it became pretty obvious with Grant Rogers as my guest that we were going to go a lot more beyond just Band and Dunes. And while Bandon Dunes captures all the authenticity and magic of Lynx-style golf as it's played in Scotland, Grant is a unique individual and really the perfect guy to interview for this episode. First of all, he loves talking about Lynx-style golf, has some very simple and practical tips to handle the challenges of lightning-fast greens, cavernous bunkers like you've never seen before, howling winds, so typical of playing Lynx golf, but also so typical of the rugged shores of southwestern Oregon. On top of all that, Grant is a true golf adventurer. He tells stories, he loves the challenge of surviving Lynx golf, the windier and rainier the better. And he also loves helping people learn how to embrace all of these challenges and truly enjoy the experience no matter how you're playing. But he'll help you play better too. He's been called the Wizard of Bandon Dunes, Zen Master, Guru, and Golf Maestro, just to name a few. And like you, he is a senior golfer. He won't talk about his age, probably because you wouldn't believe it. Let's welcome in Grant right now. So Grant, welcome to the show. And first thing I want to jump into is a unique event that really only Bandon Dunes can do the way you guys do it. And that is the Bandon Solstice which I understand you just completed here last year. Tell the listeners, I think they find it quite interesting, how this whole thing came about.
1: Well, the solstice, is most people know, is the longest day of the year. And the summer solstice is a perfect time for people to play more golf than usual. So the concept was, you know, let's see if, if people are willing to try to play all four courses at Bannon Dunes Golf Resort on the same day. And this has become kind of a, a really interesting event every year. And so I've been lucky enough to have, this is my ninth year that I've been able to complete the solstice event. So it's been fun.
0: Awesome. 72 holes in one day. That's that's an accomplishment. Has anybody actually ever figured out how many miles you're walking to complete this?
1: Yeah, I figured it out. And it's 31.5 miles. So it's a pretty good hike. I mean, it's a it's a long long distance hike, I would say. That's for sure. definitely
0: a good day hike for sure. Maybe a couple day hike. Of course, you can't, you can't bring your tent <laughs> and that's, on this one.
1: That's when you're hitting it pretty straight too. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know what it would be if you hit it a little wild out there. It'd be longer for sure. You
0: got to have straight shooters. So how do you get into this? Uh, can anybody apply for this?
1: Well, I think that they can always call Banner Dunes Golf Resort and ask about it. They probably should call the reservations department at Banner Dunes Golf Resort and then They can ask if there's a waiting list or how people can get into it. And I think there were people that were first-timers this year. And I think there's a way to do it, but I think you have to definitely call the reservations department to find out how to do it.
0: Yeah, don't hold back, it sounds like. Well, I got to get this one on my bucket list, perhaps make a call as soon as we're done with the recording, because summer solstice is very uh, personal to me. It's I was born on June 21st, the longest day of the year. So <laughs> I guess I got to finish this before golf will be complete for me.
1: Well, I think you should definitely mention that. Don't keep that a big secret. I mean, let them know that it's your birthday and this is something you want to you definitely do on your birthday. There could so. be
0: prizes, right? Yes. Oh, by definitely. the way, do they do any awards? Are there any prizes for this particular event?
1: No, I think the only prize is just the satisfaction of knowing that you could play golf that long and travel that far, and it's just a really good feeling to be able to complete all the golf courses. Yeah. You know, that's for sure. Yeah,
0: for sure. Well, definitely want to talk more about the golf courses a little bit later, but first, let's talk about uh, your journey as a golf instructor. So how did you choose this wild profession of being a golf instructor?
1: Well, it's kind of a long story, but that's what this is about, right? You don't mind a little long story. No, storytelling <laughs> is welcome. Well, there was a one I had one friend that I used to come home on the bus with. We found out that there was an apricot orchard that we discovered and we used to go into the apricot orchard and eat apricots and kind of fool around before we went home. And then finally we found out that if we went far enough, we could find a we found a big grape orchard with these giant grapes and then the grape orchard was right next to a golf course and so we used to sit in the grape orchard and watch people play this one part three and one group that we watched someone got really upset with their tee shot and then broke their five iron and threw it into the grape orchard so that became our club and so we used half the five iron and kind of hit it next to a, a tree and then we would come home from school and recover the club and then we found some golf balls. And our goal was to wait long enough so that the hole was free. And then we would try to play one hole before we went home. And so we invented a game that turned out to be alternate shot, basically, because my friend would take swings until he hit the ball somewhere. And then it was my turn. And we kept doing that until we got the ball in the hole. And we did that. We played one hole one hole after every afternoon after school. And the only problem with the whole thing was it was a really private course. And... And then the members complained about these kids sneaking out there and playing the golf hole. So they finally found out who I was, and they used to call my dad up on the phone all the time. I remember him telling me never to go back to the golf course, just stay away from that place. And, and did you? But I, No, and I think what <laughs> happened was I, I realized that he was working pretty long hours, and he was going to be at work when I got home from school. And there was really nothing he could do to stop me. So I just... You know, because he wasn't there, so we just kept sneaking out there. And so finally, my father got so many phone calls that he went down to the club and asked him if they had a, any kind of family memberships. And then he wrote this check for the membership and said, "Okay, let my son play golf once in a while if he wants to. That's all my only request." And that—that's how I got started in golf, basically. You know, because all of a sudden that club was available for for me to play golf. So.
0: Yeah, you found your way and found your passion. It sounds like. Yes. So from there, how did that how did that get you into teaching golf?
1: Well, I don't know, a variety of things happened. First of all, I played so much golf that I was actually playing pretty well. I think I remember shooting under 70 when I was 13. I had a 69 in a junior golf tournament. And that's when my parents decided I should go to San Francisco and start taking golf lessons from John Gertson. And he was at San Francisco Golf Club and he was Johnny Miller's teacher. And Johnny Miller, John Gertson would, agree to give you golf lessons if you're a junior golfer, but you had to have like a two handicap or under at the time. So my handicap was a two. So I I was able to qualify as far as the handicap thing. And then, so every Saturday I'd go off to, to take a lesson from him. And then I remember once the last lesson I, I had from John Gertz, you know, we'd hit a variety of shots. And all of a sudden he asked me if I could hit a five iron. And I took a five iron out and I hit a five iron shot. And he said, can you do that again? And I hit the same shot pretty much. And then he said, he said, let me see you do that one more time. And I hit it a third time Then I remember him looking at me. And he he said, have you ever thought about becoming a golf pro? I was really stunned because I was like 16. And I remember him saying that. And so that's probably the first time anyone anyone actually got this idea floating around for me. And then variety of other things happened, too, that kind of led me to the teaching tee. And one of them was I had an opportunity to play golf for about six months straight once. And if you do that, you're going to play pretty – your golf game going to really improve, and which mine did. And then I was in San Francisco trying to play the public courses, and somebody that I met wanted to play me for money. And I didn't have a lot of money, but I did – agree to have this game with him and somehow I won the game and so he had to pay me a little bit of money and then he wanted to play me the next day and so we did this one more time and then after the second time when I won that game I won some more money from him he, he asked me the same question John Gertzen that he said have you ever thought about being a golf pro and then I said No, I really hadn't, and he said, well, I'm a golf pro, and I'm pretty good, and you didn't have any trouble beating me, so I think you should actually think about this, and so it was kind of on my mind, sort of, it was the same kind of, I had the same kind of reaction I had when John Gertzen asked me about it, and so anyway, yeah, I mean, it just was those kind of little experiences were kind of helping point me in a certain direction, I think, basically, and then later... I decided actually I was trying to figure out what to do, and I kept thinking about being a golf pro. So I thought, well, if I'm going to be a golf pro, I want to work at a golf course that I really like. And the one that I really liked was Pasatiempo in Santa Cruz. Beautiful course. And We live pretty. We yeah, it's a great course, and it was pretty close to where I grew up. So I went down to Pasatiempo, and I asked the I met the head professional, and I asked him if there's any possibility that I could work there. And he said there wasn't any possibility because there were no openings, and he had everyone he needed, and it didn't work, and so the next day, I remember my mom had to drive me around because I didn't have a car, so she asked me what I wanted to do, and, and I said, I want to go back to Past Tiempo, and I went back and talked to him again, and he said the same things. They couldn't believe I actually showed up again, but I did. So about four days in a row, I went down to talk to him, and then there was one day, it was a Friday, I remember, I, went in and they said, "Well, he's really busy. He, he has an important lunch and he doesn't want to be disturbed. So I, I thought about that and then I kind of wandered around till I found the restaurant, and then I noticed that there was a chair that was empty next to him. So I went, I went right up and I sat down on a chair right next to him, and he said, "What are you doing?" And I said, "I want you to know that I'm really serious about working here." And then he looked at me and he said, "Can you start tomorrow at seven o'clock?" And that's how I got started, so. Clear tenacity there. Keep going for what you want. Yeah, and then then when I started, he just decided for some reason that he thought I could be a, that I would be a good candidate for the teaching professional position that he wanted to start. And mostly he wanted to start it because he didn't like giving golf lessons. And the reason he didn't is he had this philosophy that if you watch bad swings, you're gonna have one. And he had a really good golf swing and he was a tour player, so. The next tour player. So he was afraid that his golf swing would disappear if he helped normal golfers. Yeah. So,
0: not exactly the attitude of a, of a future golf instructor.
1: No. So anyway, I got this position and then he, I remember really clearly, he kind of took me aside and said, well, congratulations on becoming our new teaching professional at tiempo, But I'm just going to tell you this once. If you make anybody worse, I'll get another teaching professional. <laughs> no pressure, huh? That did it. It actually helped me in a lot of ways because I became really careful in terms of, you know, giving people information about their golf games. You know, I just, I was very selective and, and just wanted to make sure I didn't give them too much information that would confuse them or make them worse for one thing. so
0: Which unfortunately you see a lot of even today.
1: Yeah, I think today is, especially because there's so much information. And I think people just get so confused by everything they read and and watch on television and, you know, advice they get from a variety of people. And it's just, so our philosophy is too much information is too much information. It just doesn't work. Mm -hmm.
0: So, yeah, so keep it simple. What else along the way has has influenced your overall teaching philosophy beyond those two stories?
1: Well, first of all, I, I had some very good experiences myself from people helping me like john gertzen i think was a fantastic teacher and also ken venturi was one of my teachers and then another teacher was gary player so i've i mean they're pretty famous and so i i learned some things very quickly from them about golf that really you know helped me long term a lot so i really owe a lot to those people that really took the time to help me out when i was learning about golf. That
0: truly is a a journey and something that you didn't know you really wanted to do in the beginning, but it just kept coming back over and over that it was the right thing for you. Let's dive into that a little bit. Senior golfers, that's our target audience, 50 plus. Don't have exact stats, but I think typical audience listeners somewhere in the neighborhood of 55 to 75. That's probably the sweet spot. So you've had a lot of those folks come to you, I'm sure through the years. What what have you seen in terms of the, the typical senior golfer? Where do they need the most help, and what kinds of things do you typically work with them on?
1: Well, first of all, I think that met a lot of people that are senior golfers that are really they're really interested in their physical fitness level. For one thing, they're interested in things that they eat. They pay attention to their diet. They exercise a lot, so they're actually very physically fit and that helps a lot i think and then their motivation is they know they could be a better golfer but they don't know exactly what to do about it and i mean they're motivated to be better than they already are and so the people that i meet as a teacher it's it's kind of different than a lot of traditional teaching situations because the people i meet are really interested in learning and i've also noticed that i sort of focus on a lot of short shots too i'm surprised how many putting lessons and bunker lessons I've been able to give because those are really important areas. And a lot of people just haven't had that much information that really helped them in terms of, especially putting, you know, so I think everybody could be a better putter. That's for sure. And it's pretty easy to help people get better at golf. I think, you know, at this point.
0: Well I'd like to think our listening audience is is more of a curious golfer and that's why they would listen to a podcast. So I think you're talking to kindred spirits here in terms of the typical folks that you work with from a teaching standpoint. Let's let's talk a little bit about putting and let's talk about putting related to lynx golf, which is a little different. And if so, how do you see it different?
1: Well I think the challenge for everybody, you know, I think in terms of academics, they should at least try to, to get a B or higher in putting, that's for sure. So they have to put a little more energy and spend a little more time practicing their putting, and then they have to practice the right kinds of things. But I think to be an elite putter, you know, you have to have some imagination and feel, you know, and that can come from practicing certain things. And I think the other thing about putting is, someone told me a long time ago, the best way to putt is the way you putt best. That's a powerful statement. I mean, I think just means that everybody doesn't have to putt the same way. I mean you could have you could have your own style and if it works best for you then that's the way you should definitely putt. So but I think there's simple things that people could do to be better at putting. And first of all they have to have a putter that they like. That's important, and, and I think, you know, a lot of it is just getting a putter that you have some confidence in, that you've had some good luck with, and, you know, it's got a good weight for you, and it's got the right length. Like my putter, for example, didn't have the right length, so I had to add an inch to it. And so I have a 36-inch putter because I didn't, I knew I was going to put a lot, and I didn't want to bend over and kind of get myself in a kind of a strange body position. So
0: Yeah, no question. You do what you like, and you'll do a lot, of, lot more of it, for sure. A question about speed putting. The few times I've had a chance to play Bannon Dunes courses, there are some some wild rides that the ball can roll on. What would you suggest around learning how to, how to handle those really fast putts, those really slick downhill putts?
1: That's a good question, and I'm really interested in those kind of putts. So one of the things that you have to do to handle those kind of things is you have to take a much lighter grip than usual. Like you want to be holding the putter but barely holding it. And then the other thing is you have to pay attention to the impact of the putter when it hits the ball. So it's got to be really light. So it's not like a regular putt where you kind of like accelerate through the ball or something. You just, this is one that you just want to get started. And then if it's a braking putt, you have to play more brake because it's moving slower. That's about the best way, I think, to control it. It's going to be the pressure that you use. You want to use a light grip. And then just get used to barely moving the ball, you know, with the putter. That's a good way to putt, those speedy putts for sure.
0: That's really, really good advice. What kind of drills or a drill could you recommend to, to work on that a bit?
1: Well, you know, one thing about my situation is I'm out at the practice center at Bannon Dunes all the time. And right in front of the office that I'm in is an acre putting green. So a lot of times I'll watch what people are doing out there and just kind of analyze what they're doing. And a lot of times people are putting putts that never go in the hole. And part of it is because the holes are pretty far apart and they're pretty long putts. But that doesn't necessarily help you with your confidence level. So I think it's really important for people to be spend extra time in a zone that would have a radius of your putter. So something within a circle with the center of the circle being the hole and the radius being your putter length. So it's about a three-foot circle. If you get really good in that zone, if you get to the point where you're confident and you can sink a lot of putts in there, then it's going to take the pressure off your first putt, for one thing, if it's longer. You know, it's going to really reduce the possibility of three-putting or four-putting or whatever. You know, your putting statistics will definitely improve if you're a good short putter, and I think that's important. I'd like to have all my students practicing short Putts and being, you know, it doesn't matter if they're a foot or two feet, if they can get at least, if they have five balls, let's say, if they can get all five of them, if they can put them in, that's perfect. Nobody can beat that. Or if they get four to five, that's 80%, that's still good. So if they're not getting 80%, then I always tell them, if you're not getting 80%, then move closer. You know, make sure you find an area where you can get 80% or 100%. So.
0: That's great. That's a great drill, and anybody can do that. So let's shift a bit to Lynx-style golf. And there have been a number of articles written, and and you're always evangelizing the wonderment and the challenge of Lynx golf. Tell our audience a little bit more about how you came to to love Lynx golf so much.
1: Well, first of all, my first Lynx experience was really special. I worked at Southshan Golf Lynx, and there was a man that owned the resort. His name was John Gray. And he asked me if I wanted to play golf with him on a Monday, the next Monday. And I said, sure. And he said, well, would you like to play golf in England with me? And I said, sure. So all of a sudden, we went off to England, and he had made arrangements for us to play Royal St. George's in England. And when I played that golf course, I couldn't believe it. You know, It was pretty old, and it was really hard, and it was really challenging, and it was really a a great golf adventure and then we ended up playing a lot of the famous links courses while we were already over there so that's where it all started and then he told me when we got back he said the reason i wanted you to go is i want you to start leading trips from here over there i want you to put trips together and then you know and then invite people to to go with you you know and so i i started doing that and Someone asked me in front of my wife recently how many times I'd played golf in Scotland. And I said, I had no idea. And my wife immediately said, 21. That's 21 trips, right? 21 trips to Scotland and Ireland, yeah. So in England. You know, and that's one of the reasons I was so interested in Banda Dunes because when I first saw the golf course, I realized that this is the same kind of style of golf that I love playing in Europe. And that was the whole point. Mike Kaiser wanted people to have a European golf experience in this country. You know, and the the funny thing was he decided that he wanted to build a golf course in Bandon and people would say that it was too remote. You know, if anybody built a golf course in Bandon, it was too far away from everything. And and he'd also decide not to have any golf cars unless you had a permanent disability. And so so they said, well, if you don't have golf cars, no one's going to play it. But the thing was, he had played a lot in Europe and he knew the model worked because he had played a lot of remote courses that were busy. Where they didn't have golf cars, so he knew it worked. He just had someone had to try it in the United States, and so that's how it all started in Bandon Dunes. Just getting to Bandon is part of the adventure. You know, it's part of the whole golf adventure. So, I've had some organized some you know multi-day golf schools and stuff for people. And one of our awards that we give is called the Just Getting Here Award, and it's it's all about what you had to do to get to Bandon Dunes to play golf. And it's a fun award, and it's fun to hear what people have to say about that.
0: Oh, no, it's 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 not easy to get there. But once you do, you're you're really glad you took the trip, for sure. There's a lot of misconception, I think, about what Lynx golf is and how you define it. Most people think of it as, you know, nine holes out one direction, nine holes back the other. But it's it's really different than that, the true meaning of it.
1: Well, it is. And one of my favorite, there's all kinds of definitions of Lynx courses, but my favorite is that it's land that was reclaimed from the sea. So it just means that If you and I went out to Bandon and we got closer to the ocean, we could dig a hole and find some seashells, for example. And also, if you go to Scotland and you talk about the lynx land, then basically the lynx land is right on the edge of the ocean and it's land that they couldn't grow crops because of the salt content in the soil, so they decided to just grow grass and then play golf. So that's another way it started.
0: Well, yeah, so, so water is very much symbolic of Lynx golf, it sounds yeah, like.
1: Yeah, I think if you're talking about a true Lynx, I mean, you pretty much have to have a an ocean. I mean, I don't think you can just build a golf course somewhere and call it a Lynx if it doesn't have some, like an ocean, really. I mean, that's, if you think of all the famous Lynx courses in Europe, I mean, in Scotland and Ireland, I mean, there's an ocean involved, for sure.
0: And, of course, those courses you're talking about over there they have extreme weather i mean it is it is volatile weather it makes the golf experience a, a bit of a survival test and i'm wondering how much of that influenced your love for the game of golf Lynx golf that is
1: i remember a quote that i read or heard from someone a long time ago and it was if you can't play in the wind or the rain you can't play and that i always remember that if it gets to be a situation where it's extreme like if it's ex- if it's raining and cold or if it's really windy and Somehow that little comment comes back to me and it's kind of, it just adds to the challenge of the whole thing. It just makes everything more special. If you can hit a good golf shot under extreme conditions, I mean, it's it's really a special shot for sure. Yeah. You feel like you've earned it. Absolutely. And that's, what's great about Bandon because every day at Bandon, because it's so close to the ocean, the weather changes a little bit every day. And sometimes you, and like in the summertime, the wind always comes from the North and then, in the wintertime it comes from the south and it brings these big huge storms in and it's really wild out there and it's that's my probably my favorite time to play golf is is when it's raining and windy.
0: So so that that leads me to another teaching area for our senior senior audience listening here. Playing in the wind and not to mention the rain and wind and the cold weather, is being good at that or is both a mindset and a skill set? And if so, how would you break it out?
1: Well, I do think it's mental and I do think there is a skill set involved for sure. And part of it is just being prepared to deal with the weather conditions. Like it's important to pay attention to what you're wearing. Like if it is raining and especially in the winter, you know, you have to do your best to to stay warm and dry because if you stay warm and dry, you're going to be playing better golf than if you're freezing cold out there or something and so you just have to you know give some thought to that and then mentally i think you just have to think it's a good idea to try to go out there and and play and just see what kind of adventure you have and also not worry too much about your scoring because it's much harder to shoot low scores when you're playing in serious weather that's for sure so it's more or less just playing for the adventure of the whole experience and just doing the best you can you know and just having a good time i think that's the main thing
0: Yeah, never forgetting that, which really should be the mantra for golf, no matter what the situation, but part of that. But how about the skill side of it? Crosswind, into the wind? Which do you think is more challenging?
1: Well, I think the wind in general is is really a huge factor. And I think that I've seen a lot of people that have gone out there to play in, in some pretty big wind situations, and they get the mindset where they're going to go to battle with the wind, which I think never works. I mean, it never works very well. You can't battle the wind. I mean, you know, what what does that even mean? You know, so I think that the only way to do that is to get the feeling like the wind's going to be your ally. You're going to use it as an ally instead of the enemy because it really will be your ally, especially like a downwind shot, like a tee shot is, you know, you're going to hit some of the longest shots you've ever hit Abandoned, I think, downwind.
0: You may get a 300-yard drive in your career, sounds like.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you want to hit a 300-yard drive, you should come out on a windy day and go to play band dunes or something. <laughs> you will do you will do it.
0: As long as you forget those 120-yard drives into the wind, you're
1: fine. So I think, the uh, you know, you just have to kind of, if you decide, if people decide something's going to be fun, then it will be. You know, and if they don't think it's going to be fun, then it won't be. So I always tell people that someone in your group's going to have the most fun, so it might as well be you. That's what I tell people all the time. Yeah, that's a great mindset. Yeah. And so if you go with that attitude, you're going to have more fun than everybody else in your group. And, and they're going to know that too. They're going to notice it. And all it does is just make you more of a popular golfer than usual. They want to play golf with you again, for sure.
0: Well, some people might interpret that as, yeah, play really well and you'll have fun. But that, that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about just a mindset of
1: enjoying the experience. Yeah, I'm saying that the whole point is if you can just decide that you're going to have more fun than everybody else, regardless of what the ball does, that's a huge advantage. Because first of all, you'll be able to play better golf than usual, and that's good. And then no matter what, you're going to have more fun. It's just a whole lot better to kind of make up your mind that you're going to enjoy the adventure no matter what happens out there and just do your best and have some fun doing it. You know, Give each shot your full attention. Just do the best you can on every one of your shots. And then when you get off the golf course, the advantage is you know that that's the best you could do today because you did the best you could on every one of your golf shots. There's so many times when people have, they kind of try when they're playing well, but if they're not, then they sort of don't try as hard or they don't, they're not, you know, they have a different attitude about the whole thing. But actually, if they just took it one shot at a time and just did the best they could all day long, then they'd have the satisfaction of knowing that that's the best they could do, you know, that day.
0: Yeah, being totally in the moment to what you're what you're doing is re- one way to look at it and just, you know, forget the last shot, move on to the next.
1: Yep. I think that's a really good way to play. And then the challenges in the wind and as far as the crosswinds and everything else, I think people need to kind of have the attitude that you don't want to get the feeling that you have to swing easy just cuz it's windy. I mean, you would want to swing easy maybe into the wind, but if you're downwind, and you want to use it as a plus and just go ahead and give it a little more energy and, and get the benefit of the, of the wind. You don't want to swing easy going downwind because it just doesn't make any sense.
0: Doesn't at all. But let's go back to swinging easier into the wind. That almost sounds counterintuitive as well. What do you mean by that? I mean, what, why well, is that important?
1: It's important because I think that a lot of times people are, I know a lot of people kind of try to figure out how far they are, they're trying to hit the golf shot. And so if you're hitting into the wind, Obviously, the wind's going to affect that, and so if they take out the shot they would normally hit without any wind for that distance, and they just they know they're going to have to hit the ball harder. So sometimes that creates some chaos in terms of what the ball's going to do, and so it's better if they would take a less lofted club and play it normal in their stance and everything, and just take an easier swing and then flight the ball lower, you know, with a stronger golf club rather than trying to smash something with a more lofted club. So I think that works a lot better. I always over club going into the wind no matter what.
0: Boy, that's that's great advice. Less about technique, more about strategy and sort of the mental side of decision making.
1: Yeah, and also somehow everybody thinks that And if you're playing into the wind, you have to move it back in your stance. And the only reason people think that is because they know if you move it back in your stance that you're going to de-loft the club. But the problem is the club is going to be crashing into the ball sooner. And sometimes it hits the ball too high on the ball to get a really good golf shot. Or sometimes it's going to come in open because it hasn't had a chance to, to actually square up. And you could hit a lot of kind of wild golf shots doing that. So the best idea is just to play it normal but take a club with less loft and swing easier. It will automatically flight the ball lower and the shot will be, you know, straighter. And it'll just be a much better golf shot, I think, in general. And you'll enjoy
0: the game a little bit more too. Yeah, you'll be the you'll be the one in your group playing <laughs> playing well. You'll be playing well and maybe helping others along the way. So let's talk a little bit about the courses there at Bandon Dunes. I and mean, we don't have to geek out and get into too much depth, but They're all different. They're all, for the most part, designed by different designers, although it looks like Ben Crenshaw is getting more and more active in building there. But for the most part, they all have different personalities and different designs. What went into the thinking of the overall design of these courses?
1: Well, I think that Mike Kaiser, for one thing, um, the owner picked very talented architects, and then he asked them to go defend par. So when you're on the tee looking at the hole, you're looking at the defense. That's the defense. And then you have to play an offense against their defense. And so any hole that's that looks short yardage wise, they didn't make it short and easy. They made it short and challenging. You know, so you have to keep your you have to pay attention to those holes that aren't super long because they're they have their own little challenges for sure. And some of them are I mean, I think the thing about Dunes that's really great is there are 85 holes there, and every one of them is fun to play. I mean, I like every single one of the holes.
0: Yeah, that makes for a great, a great golf experience when you can have that much
1: variety. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy for people to have a great golf experience there, and it's pretty hard for people that like golf not to enjoy the golf there because it's just – it's a huge variety, and all the all the holes are fun to play, and they're challenging. and And the other thing I really love about it is well, there are five different tees on every single hole, so people can play. We don't have men's and ladies tees; we just have tees, so people can use any tees they want. They can get closer to the green to start with, or they can go a little further back, whatever they want to do. Wow,
0: that gives you a lot a lot of variety. Eighty five holes times the number of different tee boxes.
1: Yeah, so there's five of the tee boxes, so there's plenty of chances for everybody to enjoy playing that golf hole. You just have to be flexible enough to to pick some tees that are fun to play. And shorter doesn't mean easier, does it? No, shorter at Bannon Dunes usually means it's not easy. <laughs> you know, there's something out there that you have to pay attention to besides- Because they're all,
0: they're all still par 36 per nine, still all par 72.
1: And some of the holes are notorious too, like the 16th hole at Pacific, for example. That's a pretty short par four, but it's designed to get you if you're not careful, that's for sure. You know, Because first of all, you have to hit two really good golf shots. The first one and then your second shot pretty much has to be on that green no matter what. Two
0: really good golf shots with the elements blaring and and flailing away at you makes it even tougher.
1: Yeah. And even if there aren't there, I mean, it's still challenging no matter what. So it's one really great golf hole after another. So it just kind of adds up to this really great golf experience, I think, for everybody. It doesn't matter. You can have a higher or lower handicap, and you're still going to enjoy playing golf out there for sure.
0: Say, one course I have not had any chance to play, missed it when I was down there in March this year, is the Preserve. But I hear great things about it. What can you share with our audience that makes that course so special?
1: Well, first of all, the Preserve is definitely something that everyone ought to take advantage of when they come to Dunes, if they can if so They have the time because it's a short golf course. It's got 13 holes, but every one of them is fun to play. And You can play it in an hour and a half. And a lot of times, if on arrival days or departure days, you could play the golf course. And it's just a really fun golf experience. And, you know, I've had some really good luck in terms of hole-in-ones out there. Somebody challenged me to a hole-in-one contest out there, and I told him the first place it was a bad idea. And he said, why? And I said, because I can make hole-in-ones out there, and I don't think you can and that started the whole thing, and then finally. So right now, my prediction's pretty accurate because it's eight to zero, eight for me and zero for this other guy. So it's, I don't know. You know, I think the golf course is—you can hit a lot of different shots out there. That's for sure. And every hole is fun to play. And and it's not that easy, really. It's just—it's challenging. It's a challenging little golf course for sure. Well,
0: I've seen the pictures of it, and it looks like the beautiful views of the ocean. Lots of wind challenges, like every course there, but this one particularly does. And uh, there's some sh- very short holes there that maybe are the most fun of all.
1: Yeah, the shortest one is the eighth hole, and the eighth hole is one of my favorite holes anywhere. It reminds me of the postage stamp hole at Troon. It's just so short and little, but you have to hit a good shot off the tee, otherwise it's trouble, you know. And so I really like that. The fact that they could make a hole that interesting and that challenging at the same time—it's just a really cool golf hole. It really is.
0: What club do you use to tee off on that?
1: I usually use a sixty-degree wedge, and you have to hit it over a sand dune, and they usually put the pin right behind the sand dune. So, so you got to elevate it and stop it. Yeah, it's just a great shot. It's really fun to play that, that golf hole. I love that golf hole. So it's it's not long, but it's not easy, you know. And it's interesting that you can make a hole that short and still that challenging. Kind of a amazing, really.
0: So reserve time to play the preserve sounds like. A
1: lot of times people come in and they, they're at the resort, but they, their first round doesn't start for the next day. And they're kind of wandering around trying to figure the resort out. But they could be spending that time playing the preserve that afternoon, you know, which would be a good introduction to the other courses that they're going to play.
0: Let me start off with, and you've already mentioned it, you're 8-0 and in, in the hole-in-one category there at the preserve. So you've been known to have quite a few of them. Do you have a favorite? Is there any, anyone that sticks out in your mind as being your favorite hole-in-one?
1: One of my favorites, I think, was the first one that I made. And that was when I was in high school. And I remember taking a seven iron and hitting a good seven iron shot. And then by some miracle, it jumped in the hole. And I mean, it was one I could see from the tee and everything. And I, and I didn't know what, to, I was kind of stunned when I won the hole. So I sat down on the bench and I was trying to figure out what to do. It's kind of like, if you have a police car that's behind you and they're trying to pull you over, you have to kind of think, what are you supposed to do type thing? Anyway, I was sitting there and I thought, well, I just better wait till another golfer comes and I can explain what happened and they can kind of attest this thing. So, But it turned out I was, I was the last golfer, I think, on the back nine that day. So I, no one came along and I finally just decided to try another seven iron shot. So I just put another ball down and I thought that was such a cool shot. I'm going to hit one more and this time I hit it. A little further, but it it wrapped up in the flag, and that went in too. And now I had two all-in ones on the same hole, the same day. So that was pretty pretty amazing. I thought. And then I think the twelfth hole at Old mcdonald is one of the more difficult par threes. Probably anyone can play anywhere. I remember hitting a six iron, kind of. It was like a high six iron draw. It was really a cool looking shot, and then it kind of bounced up but I thought it bounced up on the green and we walked up and it wasn't on the green so I thought I must have hit it over and I looked over the green it wasn't there and all of a sudden I kind of smiled and said I know where it is and it was right in the hole you know it had to be in the hole (laughs) so that was one of my favorites too
0: had to be in there those are two awesome awesome and back to back unbelievable on that first experience with a hole in one you should have hit a third I guess
1: well I might have been out of golf balls you never know
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, only play with two. That's all you need. So let's say a a group of buddies come down. They want to play or say a group of couples. They want to come down. Senior golfers. So picture senior golfers, that 55 plus group. They want your help in designing a great senior golfer experience. What would you put together for
1: them? Well, one thing that we do that's really popular is we have a lesson that's called a Lynx lesson. And we work on Lynx specific golf shots. And then we we cover some bunker shots and then we go over some, give everyone some putting tips that they're going to need to know. And so, but it's kind of like a, a really good introduction to some ideas that we know will help them play the other courses really well. And it takes about an hour and a half for the group to go through the whole links lesson, but it's, they're popular. It seems like everyone that takes advantage of that, we get a lot of positive feedbacks from people on those links lessons. So I think that's one thing. And then The other thing that we do that's interesting is a lot of times I'll schedule on-course playing lessons. That would just mean that one of our golf professionals at Dunes would join them for an on-course playing lesson on one of the courses or multiple courses if they wanted. That way, they, they end up, the golf pro is a resource for them and the golf pro can pay attention to each person's specific questions along the way. And it's that's another really it's like going fishing with a guide we have the 418 hole courses are rated in the top 15 in the country for public access courses so one of the ideas would be for them to play all of the courses at least once if they have the time and then if they can figure out a way to play the preserve then you know playing all 85 holes i think is should be a goal for people that are first timers and haven't had a chance to play golf at Bannon Dunes. I think that would be what I recommend to people all the time. If you're going to be coming long distance to the resort, then let's see if you can spend enough time to play all 85 holes at least once. And they're probably the same people are probably going to want to play Pacific Dunes, for example, twice because it's rated number two in the country. So, you know, so that would be a really good format, I think. You know, and also we also design programs for people to take. For groups to take some lessons in the morning and then have playing lessons in the afternoon. That's pretty common as well. And that's a big advantage because that way you can work with people on their specific problem areas or areas that they want to get a little better at. And then you can see how they do on the golf course in those areas because you're playing golf with them later at the, in the afternoon.
0: Do you get a lot of couples out there that come out and, and want to have a, a joint golf experience as well?
1: Yeah, we do. In fact, we just had a three-day golf academy that we designed for July, and we had 15 people that signed up for it, and there were a lot of couples. And so it was really fun to get everybody together and have people meeting new people and playing golf together and learning some things in the morning from different golf pros. And then we all played golf with them in the afternoons, and it was really a nice event. It was fun. If the couple enjoys golf, this is a perfect place to go. And then that kind of golf experience, you know, is something that you don't forget. I mean, everybody kind of, you know, we just finished this not long ago, and I'm still getting emails from people about it, how much they liked it and stuff. And it's just, you know, that's one of our goals on all of our lessons. We want the lessons to be informative and fun, basically. That's our goal.
0: Good combination. So I got to ask you about bunker play because bunker play is, is imminent. You're going to find a bunker there. Unless you're really, really good, you're going to find some bunkers. And some of those bunkers are really tough to get out of. From a teaching standpoint, what are some tips you'd recommend for the listeners out there in terms of playing some of the bunkers abandoned?
1: Well, for one thing, I think it's really important that you have an extra lofted sandwich, at least a 60-degree sandwich, because a lot of times I've heard even pros say, well, I don't need a 60-degree wedge because I have a 58-degree wedge, and if I want a 60, I just open it and I have more than a 58. Well, I like the idea of having a 60, and then if you open it, you've got more than a 60, because that just makes more sense to me than that 58 idea. So I think having an extra lofted sandwich makes a big difference. It just makes it easier for people to get out of deep bunkers, for one thing. I think that also, it really is critical. And then the other thing, that you have to have some ideas about your technique, too. And I've noticed a lot of people, I think would be better bunker players if they opened their golf club a little bit more and added, you know, I mean, if they're right-handed, if they turn it to the right a little bit and give the start with a, a more loft on the club in the first place. And then also another big plus is if they would just remember to use a light grip, not grip the, the club too tight. And then also make sure you follow through. So your hands are kind of at least where you're, where your leading shoulder is, you know, at least if it's a right hand or over your left shoulder. So you want to feel like you're accelerating through the sand and then your hands are finished higher than usual.
0: Yeah. Low finish will mean a low trajectory in a
1: sense. Yeah. The low finish just usually leads to trouble. I think if you just commit yourself to a nice high follow through and you make sure you hit the sand and accelerate through the sand, I think you'll get out of a lot of bunkers. So a lot of times I'll just have people just try to hit the sand with the idea of knocking the sand out of the bunker. Because once the sand starts coming out of the bunker, if you put a ball down there, then the sand's gonna come out and the ball's gonna come out. The other thing is I think that bunker shots are simpler than a lot of people are trying to do things like it's pretty traditional for a lot of people for a right hander to take the club outside their target line and then cut across it and then hope the ball goes to you know, we're in the right direction. But there's a lot of manipulation involved in that. And I think it's just easier if they go more directly at it so that the club and the sand and the ball is kind of going where you want the ball to go in the first place. It's just way easier. And I've noticed a lot of pros on the circuit on the PGA tour for sure are going, and even the LPGA, are going more directly toward where they want the ball to go instead of standing too open and cutting across it. you know So it's just an easier way to hit a bunker shot for sure, I think.
0: Makes sense. Again, makes a lot of sense. Simple makes sense. Keep it simple. So a big thank you to Grant Rogers. He was so generous in sharing his teaching tips and knowledge of Lynx golf. Very practical ideas we can take to any Lynx style course we play, not just Band and Dunes. And I had so much good content in this interview that I decided to separate out the quick take questions that I normally do at the end and create a separate 15 minute podcast podcast which will be released shortly after this one. I I think you're going to like it. Grant will share some fun personal golf stories you won't want to miss. A special shout-out to Michael Chupka, Director of Communications at Bandon Dunes Golf Resort, who was a big help in setting this up. Thank you, Michael. You can find out more about this and other podcasts by going to the website, theseniorgolferadvisor.com. Click on the Podcast Episode tab in the upper right. There you will find the summary notes for this show, and other shows, and lots of links for more information about the guests that we have on the show. Again, thank you for listening, and remember, if you like the Senior Golfer Advisor podcast, check us out on Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and review. Keep swinging, and we'll catch you on the next show.